If you would open your Bibles to the book of Romans, the eighth chapter. Uh, This time uh, we will read verses 14 to 16. Um, Well, actually, let's read 12 to 16. Um, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 16. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I have taken this out of a chapter that's probably the second half of the chapter is one of the best known passages of Scripture. Uh, Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then the, the salvation path of going through those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the images so they'd be the firstborn, predestined, called, called, justified, justified, glorified. And so we probably know verse 28. We probably know verses 29 to 30. And I know we know verses 31 and following. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? And then in all things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him. What I'm convinced, verse 38, neither death nor life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, this chapter has a wonderful ending. It's just filled with promises of God's kindness to us and of our position being perfect with nothing to fear because we belong to God's. But I want to point out to you that where it comes to the text that I've pulled from the middle, verses 12 through 16, that there is a pressure that we're put under there. And that pressure is what gives issue to the promises at the end of this chapter. And what is the pressure? Well, the pressure begins right away with verse 12. So then, brothers, so he's addressing those who believe in Jesus Christ. And he says, so then, brothers, what? We are under obligation. What is the obligation? Not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So there's something we're not to do. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. So, brothers, obligation not to the flesh, because if we live according to the flesh, we will die. Rather, by the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the body, then we will live. So so we have two opposite sides. 
I want you to get this into your brain. The Bible simply doesn't pander to us. The Bible is not like the president of the United States, whether he's Republican or Democrat, who gets up at the State of the Union and panders to us. You know, don't worry, we're going to give you lots of drugs at no cost if you're older and if you're younger, free health care, and on and on and on. And it's all a scam because our great-great-great-grandchildren are going to have to pay for it. But it doesn't matter. He panders to us. And he tells us that every day in every way the world is getting better and better. And the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible presents heaven and hell. All right? And right away we know that there is something good, something bad. And when it comes to the promises at the end of this chapter, we know from verses 12 to 17, we know that those promises are for one group and not for another, right? The group they're for are those who live according to the Spirit. The group that it's not for are those who live according to the flesh. Now, if you're a good Bible-believing Christian, immediately you think to yourself, But I don't live according to the flesh. I live according to the spirit. And therefore, the promises are for me. And I say to you, well, right there, you have begun to think that you're justified by your works. Because then you'll automatically say, well, I better live according to the spirit or I'm not going to deserve all those goodies and I won't get them. And the fact is, the Bible tells us here that if we live according to the Spirit, it is by the Spirit. Look at verse 13. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if, what? By the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So here's the deal. You can separate all men, and men includes women. You can separate all men into those who live according to the flesh and are in bondage to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit and by the spirit are putting to death the works of the flesh. You can separate all men, all women into those who live as slaves of Satan according to the flesh and those who live by the spirit putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Now, did you notice how the text begins? The text begins by saying, so then, brother. Now, what is the significance of the word brother? Must have a purpose. What is the purpose? The purpose is for you to realize that all of us who are believers need to understand that we're either living according to the flesh or by the Spirit. He said brothers, so he's addressing believers. And it's believers, he says, you're either living according to the flesh and headed for death, or you're living according to the Spirit, by the Spirit, and headed to eternal life. And so then you say, well, now wait a second, you know, if it's brothers, then they can't be headed to death because we have eternal security. And I say, yes. And how do you know whether or not you're a brother? And you say, well, it says right there, so then brethren. So it must be everybody that the book of Romans was written to, right? But it's not. Because always in your family, in your church, in your country, in your state, in your city, always you're dealing with people who profess the name of Jesus Christ 
but do not belong to him. Does that make sense to you? Remember Augustine's dictum, which is many sheep without and many wolves within. And so he will look and I'll look at you and I'll say, so brothers, we have an obligation and our obligation is not to live according to the flesh, but by the spirit, because the works of the flesh will lead in death. But the works of the spirit by the spirit will lead to eternal life. Right. Are you with me? So what's the application of this side? All right. What's the application? Well, the application is always going to be that you're going to say, do I live by the flesh or do I live by the spirit? And that's what you're supposed to ask yourself. And you say, yeah, but then I'll get fearful. And fear isn't a good thing. Perfect love casts out all fear. And I don't think my pastor, when I was growing up, ever made me do that. I think he told me that I should leave fear behind, that it's a cosmic bummer. And that what good is Jesus if he doesn't take away fear? And so I say, okay, that's true. So do you live according to the flesh or do you live according to the spirit? You say, well, there you go again. I don't want to be in a vice. I don't want to be in a pressure cooker. I say, hey, neither do I. Do you live according to the flesh, brothers, sisters, or do you live according to the Spirit? Which is it? And you say, well, are you telling me that there are some young men here who haven't lusted after women this last week? And I say, yeah, every, every man here has. And you say, well, then apparently nobody here lives according to the Spirit, by the Spirit. I say, oh, okay, so every single second we're falling from death to life, death to life, death to life. Is that what Scripture teaches? That every second we're saved, we're lost, we're saved, we're damned, we're saved, we're lost. Is that what Scripture teaches? Well, you know that's not what Scripture teaches. And if you look at the text, it says... For all, verse 14, who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, right? All who are living according, being led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. And then look at verse 13. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so apparently those who live by the Spirit are being given over to death all the time. What are they dying to? Well, they're dying to the lust. I keep telling people that you don't separate the book of Proverbs into people who are good and don't need to be rebuked and people who are bad and need to be rebuked. How do you separate the two sides of the book of Proverbs? Well, the book of Proverbs is the wise man and the fool. And the fool is the man who's bad and needs to be rebuked. And the wise man is the guy who's good and doesn't need to be rebuked. Right? No. The book of Proverbs says there are only two kinds of people. One is the person who is a fool and is rebuked and hates the rebuke. 
And the other is the wise man who needs to be rebuked and loves the rebuke. (laughs) And that means there's hope for me. Because I'm rebuked all the time. All the time. It's true. So now let's go back. The Bible says that those who are in the Spirit, by the Spirit, are putting to death the deeds of the flesh. So there's not one person here who isn't dying. And they're either dying the eternal death of those who will not cry out, Abba, Father, or they're dying the daily, momentary, this second, and this second, and this second, and this second, and this second, of being rebuked and loving it, and being humiliated and loving it, and suffering and loving it, and putting to death the deeds of the flesh, so that one day we'll be glorified, and the battle will be over. Those are the only two. The death of hell and Satan and bondage slavery to Satan and the death of daily by the power of the Spirit putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Those are the two groups. So every man here has lusted after a woman other than his wife. Every man, I hate to break it to you women, every man here has done it. And there may be some men who lusted after another man, but it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. And every woman here has resented the success of another woman. (laughs) And so the only question is whether you are on a highway to hell, and it's death now and death then, or whether you're on a path to heaven by the Spirit of God, and it's life now and it's life in heaven. And the life now is death. It's putting to death. The deeds of the flesh. That's it. Those are the two groups. And all of biblical Christianity today is a conspiracy to tell you that there are people who are unhappy now and then they'll go to hell, but then you get rid of hell. It's just annihilation or, or everybody's saved or something. So there isn't death now and there won't be death there. And then there are people who are blissfully happy now and then are headed to heaven. You remember that cartoon in, that I told you about? where there's this dude sitting at a bar, and he's talking to the bartender. He says to the bartender, I had a a happy birth into a happy family, and my teenage years were happy, and my middle age is happy, and I anticipate having a happy retirement, and then I'm going to heaven. And why is it funny? It's funny because there's absolutely no person that would ever say that. Except maybe... Christians who are taught that Christians don't sin, never have fear, never have to mortify anything, and mortify means kill anything, that Christians who aren't sanctified day by day, but rather they got all the goodies the minute they placed their faith in Jesus, and now it's bliss until heaven, and then it's real bliss. And what the Bible tells us here is, so then, brother, we're under obligation. Brethren means what? Christian. So then Christian. Christian. All right? We are under obligation. Obligation? But then you're saying that I'm going to have to work to get into heaven. No, but yes, but no. I mean, you will work 
because you have to put to death the deeds of the sinful flesh. So we're under obligation not to the flesh. In other words, we're under obligation to not give ourselves to the flesh, but rather we're under obligation to live according to the flesh. No, according to the spirit. If by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. One will lead to death, the other to life. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So those who live according to the flesh are not adopted sons of God. Those who live according to the Spirit are adopted sons of God. Those who live according to the Spirit have Christ as their elder brother, their older brother. Those who live according to the flesh do not have Jesus as their brother. If you're going to be a Christian, what you have to do is you have to begin to think in terms of black and white. Okay? You have to teach yourself not to identify with our colorblind society. You have to go everywhere thinking death life, death life, death life. Slave of Satan, slave of God. Servant of Satan, servant of God. You have to begin to think in terms of... uh, Everything being divided into two groups, not three, not four, not five, not uh, superfluity of diversity and pluralism and, and polymorphous perversity, but dead and alive. That's how you have to train yourself to think. Now, why would I stop to emphasize this? Remember what I said You're either adopted by God as his son, his daughter, or you're not. That's what the text says. And we want to be adopted by God. We want to find in our hearts that the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, which is the sign of sonship, adoption. All right? Why would I teach you this? Why would I exhort you? About this, Why would I say it's very important that you train yourself to think this way? Why? Well, because everything in this world trains you to blur distinctions. Everything about this world is opposed to you separating people into one of two groups. Because after all, that's generalizing. That's stereotyping. That's being prejudiced. That's like sexist. It's racist. It's like not good. What you're supposed to do is embrace diversity. Embrace pluralism. Turn into a bowl of value-neutral jello with no flavoring, no taste. Because then why? Well, America's a melting pot. In 30 years, whites will be a minority. And so the quicker we learn to overlook distinctions and just get along with each other because everybody's a human being, then the more we'll be able to hold this experiment together. 
You know, we'll celebrate diversity. We'll all get along. Nobody will have any dogmatic position. Nobody will say anybody's wrong. It's just different ways of being right. And this is the relentless sermon, dogmatic sermon. (laughs) Now, why am I yelling at that point? Well, think about it. University is just so reasonable. It's so soft and tender, as it tells you, that there is no right and wrong. But they don't ever yell at you. They just call those who believe there is right and wrong arrogant. Have any of you ever had a mother who was like cloying and oppressive to you as a man? You know, like she was always wanting to mother you. You'd bring a you, you'd bring a friend home and she'd like gather you into her bosom. And you'd go, Mom! That's what the university is. It's like gathering you into its bosom. And like stroking your head and like patting your cheek and feeding you all the goodies as long as you agree with it. There is no right and wrong! Never! And if you just go along with them, you'll do fine. And if you don't, there will be hell to pay. There will be hell to pay. And, and, and you're just so used to thinking of preachers as being the ones that yell and are dogmatic, you know. And the university is so tolerant. It's also beautiful. Just no distinctions, that's all. The only thing you have to do, the only have, you only have to go along to get along. The, all you have to do is overlook distinctions. There are not slaves of Satan and slaves of God, but there is a wonderful, wonderful quilt of diversity and each person has their patch and pretty soon the whole the whole mall will be covered with the quilt of diversity and we have our sacraments of diversity any of you remember that quilt huh come on some of you are old enough to remember that quilt you guys don't know about the quilt yeah see adam knows about the quilt Right? Carol and David know about the quilt. Go home and look it up in Wikipedia. And the whole message of the quilt was what? Beautiful diversity. And we're all going to be proud of our diversity. And that diversity absolutely will not allow Christians to say that there are those who are damned and will be in hell and that there are those who by the Spirit of God cry out, Abba, Father, and will be in heaven. And all of this life, it's a highway to hell or heaven. And that's it. There are only two groups. And so the university says, no, there's diversity and it needs to be embraced. Remember, I told you about the woman that gathers you to her bosom? Think about the language. Embrace and celebrate diversity. smells good. It has perfume, doesn't it? I mean, who's going to be against embracing and celebrating? Remember? That mother that just suffocates you with her tenderness. 
okay? There are those who are headed for hell and are damned. And there are those who are headed for heaven and are saved. By God's Spirit, not because they're good, by God's Spirit. Their heart cries out, Abba, Father. Okay? Now, what about the distance between where I'm standing now and where I'm standing now? What about all those people? There's no space. The only reason I walked was to give you a feeling of having crossed over a divide. But there's not one person in the middle. There's nobody. There's nobody that's in a demilitarized zone. There is none. There are those who are on a highway to hell and those who are on a highway to heaven by the Spirit of God. That's it. Let me read to you a description in Scripture of the work of God. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 16. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are from the land of the Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Now that's, that's about as negative as you can be. You know, it's saying your origin was with the wicked of the wicked. And then God says to his people, as for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in cloths. No eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. And this is what we are outside of Christ. We're living, but nobody's cleaned the gunk off of us, the blood. Nobody's made sure we're breathing. Nobody's put clothes on us. In fact, they haven't even put us in the nursery. They've thrown us out on the shores of the lake on the bank of the river, and left us to die. Outside of Christ, that's what we are. And God says, When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you, while you were in your blood, in other words, were we clean when God saw us? No, we were bloody. I saw you squirming in your blood, and I said to you, while you were in your blood, what? Live. Live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. I made you numerous like plants of the field, and then you grew up, became tall, and reached the age for fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, and yet you were naked and bare. And then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. And then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed with you with oil. And I also clothed you with embroidered cloth. And put sandals of porpoise skin on your feet. And I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. 
I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck. I also put a ring in your nostril. Right on, Michael. Earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. And then you were adorned with gold and silver and your dress was of fine linen. Silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil, so you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And then your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Listen, people. There are only two groups. There are those who... This world cast them forth from the womb in blood and guts, naked, unwanted, and unclaimed, and dying on the banks of the river. And there are those that this world cast onto the banks of the river, and then God looked and took pity. And God washed us with water. God clothed us, he perfumed us, he gave us embroidered cloth, he loved us, and then guess what? By the Spirit of God, we cry out, Abba, Father. He put his robe over the top of us when it was time for love. We all know what time for love is. So it's time for love for you. And who's going to love you? The world? What's the world going to do with you? What's the university going to do with you? Is the university going to spread its robes over top of you and perfume you and give you embroidered cloth and wash you with water and say he's mine? Is that what the university is going to do? University is going to trample you underfoot with its diversity until you lose the ability to know good from evil, lost from saved, and heaven from hell, and God from Satan. But if you come to Christ and He comes to you, then it don't matter. They can do whatever they want to to you. The worst they can give you is failing grade. Bad audition. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Do you see how it ends the way it began? If. You know, I don't want an if. You know, I just want a declarative sentence. It says, if we suffer with him, then we'll be glorified with him. And so this is the text of Scripture. Scripture calls us brothers and then tells us to live 
putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. And how do we know whether or not the Holy Spirit is at work within us? Well, the way we know is that we're putting the deeds to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. How else do we know? Well, we know because that same Spirit is the Spirit of adoption, verse 15, as by sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And this is where I want to end. It is true that in our lives spiritually, there are times where we despair because of our sin. And we think that we're just in bondage to the flesh. And Satan is the accuser of the brethren, the Bible tells us. And he's constantly telling us that we're not good enough for God. But remember, that baby is naked and bloody and gross. And that's me. And remember how I keep telling you that if my heart was a Hallmark card, you wouldn't want to get it in the mail? And that's you. And so it is the naked and the gross and the unwanted and the dying that God sets his affection on. And so then the question is, well, how do you know if the Spirit of God is at work in you? And the answer is twofold from the text. Number one, because you'll see that you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Not that you put them to death, because that would be action complete at point in past time. You are putting, putting right now, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And you see that the Holy Spirit, when you get lazy and you want to act as if you've already named it and claimed it, that the Holy Spirit all of a sudden will whomp you up to the side of the head with something. Who knows what it is? And then you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. That's one way. You will live day by day putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Will you have deeds of the flesh in you? Absolutely. But you'll be putting them to death. When you don't want to, will they still be be being put to death? Yes, because the Holy Spirit is in you putting to death the deeds of the flesh. About the time that you think you're done being a disciple of Jesus Christ, he'll whomp you up the side of the head. And you'll be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And you'll sometimes like be way up in the clouds looking down at yourself saying, I think the Holy Spirit's putting to death his deeds of the flesh. And you'll be way far away because it'll be so painful, you don't want to hang around for it. Okay? That's the first way. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Now, what's the second way? The second way is you'll be crying out what? Abba, Father. Let me give you a little testimony personally. I am a very wicked man. And as Luther says... Wicked men with bad personality traits that are wicked after they become Christians are still those bad personality traits. And that's why we need to be sanctified, changed, all right? And so sometimes I despair. And I think I'm not putting anything to death. I'm feeding it, you know, I'm giving it uh, <laughs> uh, miracle growth, <laughs> right? You know, it seems like my whole life is just like sin. And then I remember something, and I want to share it with you because I'm convinced that this will be an encouragement to you. Many years ago, there was an ad on television of Michael J. Fox before he got uh, Parkinson's disease. Some of you may remember it was like Partnership for a Drug-Free America ad. Michael J. Fox was walking. As the camera was straight on to him, he was walking from down a hallway. 
And as he walked very slowly, he was talking to you. So if you can picture, he starts like 30 feet there. The whole commercial, he's walking towards you. And he says if, something like, you know, if you do drugs, as you go through life, your life will be a life of ever-diminishing options. And every three feet or so he takes, what happens? A door slams shut behind him. So like every four feet, there's a door. And as he walks, every couple of steps, a door goes whop, right? Whop, 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 until he's right in front of the camera. And he says, and then it'll be too late and all your decisions will be made and there will be no going back. Good description of drugs, isn't it? So what does that have to do with Abba Father? Aha, that's a good question. So, like, I love my dad, my daddy, Joe Bailey. Love, 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 love him. Love him. And because I was a rebel when I was younger, when I became an adult, all of a sudden our relationship was even more tender because there had been years where I had been in rebellion. And so I love him all the more, right? And then he goes up to Mayo to have a surgery, and it's risky, and sure enough, he dies. All right? And he dies after they tell us he's off the bypass and you're hurt. You know, oh, yeah, he's off the bypass. And then you get over to the room where you're going to see him. And they come in and say, stay here. Don't come in. He's gone into severe arrhythmia. He's dying. And your mother's wailing next to you. And she's saying, oh, Lord, not again, because she's lost three of her sons already. And now she's losing her husband. And she's wailing. And your wife took your daughter, Michael, away. So your wife isn't there to comfort you with your little baby. And you're alone with. And then this chaplain comes in, a male chaplain. And he stands over us, doesn't touch us, doesn't offer to pray, doesn't read scripture, doesn't do anything. He looks at us and he says, you have a right to be angry with God. Where did that come from? A chaplain. That's where it came from. Not a pastor. And I'm, I, I'm wanting to stand up and just... <laughs> I mean, if there was ever a pasty, sallow-complected wuss that needed to be decked. And I was young enough, it would have been no problem. And my mother's wailing. And as I'm sitting there, there's a wall like four feet from me. And as I look at the wall, what I'm thinking is, there's Michael J. Fox. But it's not Fox. Rather, it is my father's death. And the doors are all shutting. And so this ad morphed in my brain to me looking down the hallway and realizing that there was only there were only two choices. And on the left was my choice to love God. And on the right was my choice to hate him. Do you understand this? And. The pain was so awful, it was far and away the most painful thing I've ever had in my life to lose my dad. And the pain was so awful that I went way up behind myself and I looked down at my mother crying and my father dead, dying. And I'm sitting there and it's like I'm way up behind me. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's this like voice in me and the voice is Abba. Abba, Father. You know, I don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> you know, he's dead. 
but he's my father. It's not my dad. It's God. And I realize this has come to me from the loving hand of my father. And I see in my heart there's not anything in my heart that is rebelling and bitter. Nothing. Nothing. Because he's my daddy. And there are many times since then when the only thing I had to hold on to against the accusation of Satan was remembering that moment and knowing that my heart by the Spirit of God cries out, Abba, Father. I'd rather lose my wife and my eldest son than not have God as a father. I don't care if he slays me. I don't care. He's my daddy. Do you understand this? Some of you understand it. Some of you don't. If you don't understand it, go to him and say, Daddy. I believe in your son and I love him and he died for my sins. And then the Spirit of God, day by day, will put to death your sin. And part of that will be the death of your father that you love. But you'll go, Abba, Father, and you'll live by faith. That's what it means to live by faith. Okay? Don't get caught up in my illustration. It might be that you have a dad that you don't love. That's okay. It still works. It still works. God is your father by faith, by the spirit. You'll find in your heart that it cries out, Abba, Father.